Hello and welcome to the Outside and Active podcast. My name is Dom and I'll be playing host to conversations tailored for those who love the outdoors. Thank you for joining me on this adventure where I speak to a whole host of interesting guests with inspiring stories. For our next stop on this adventure, I am joined by the world's fastest snowboarder, Jamie Barrow. In 2013, a serious accident during a snowboard competition made him have to drop out of the British team and left Jamie with a bad back injury. And despite doctors telling him that he had to give up snowboarding, he was determined to not only snowboard again, but to push himself as far as he could. This is when Jamie decided to start doing speed records. Since this change of direction, he has broken many snowboarding records and embarked on a bunch of interesting projects. Jamie's always hungry, looking for new and exciting projects that he can continue to do so that he can continue to enjoy snowboarding despite his injury. I was chatting to Jamie at the National Snow Show, which was back in October, and he was a lovely, lovely guy. Really, really interesting story, so I'm really looking forward to people listening to this episode. But just before we jump into this episode, I want to say a massive thank you to eGlove. Now, if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, then you'll know exactly what eGlove is all about. But if you're new, then make sure to listen. eGlove are bringing style and warmth to your lifestyle and you can get 10% off all of their products now. eGlove create award-winning mobile-friendly gloves for runners, riders, bikers, and skiers. Their range of eGlove performance and sport-specific smartphone gloves have been developed with complete focus on the end user. Whether your sport of choice is horse riding, running, hiking, or simply just walking to work or walking the dog, their technically superior touchscreen gloves allow for full movement, keep your hands warm and dry and enable you to grip reins or handlebar securely and still means that you can call, text or tweet via mobile whilst you're wearing them. And like I said at the beginning, you can get 10% off all products when you head to their website www.eglove.co.uk and at checkout use the code O and A10 and that's an ampersand, use code O and A10, check out 10% off, go and see what products they have. They have a brand new range of running gloves, which are perfect for the dark, perfect for the cold weather. Go and check it out now. And without further ado, let's get straight into this episode with Jamie. Jamie, thank you for joining us on the podcast. How are you doing? Uh, good, thanks for having me. It's, it's a pleasure and an honour, and I'm really looking forward to chatting about you, your story, and the listeners to hear about the craziness that you've done. And uh, we'll jump into that in a bit. I think crazy is probably a good word to craziness, use on that. Yeah. I get told a lot of that recently. Yeah. I can imagine, <laughs> yeah. imagine for you, it's probably quite normal now. But yeah. for people uh, watching in from the outside, it, go, why are you doing that? This will make sense to people later on. Um, but to begin with, I'm going to offer you a piece of advice. And it's not advice from me. It's an advice, okay. piece of advice from someone who's been on the podcast before, a guest. And this piece of advice comes from Molly Hughes who has solo skied from Antarctica to the South Pole, 700 miles, on her own. And she is also the youngest woman to summit Everest from both the north and the south side. I didn't realise there were two sides. Oh, that's crazy. I yeah, know. That's yeah. <laughs> that is crazy. Um, I didn't realise there were two sides. I just thought it was one path that people... Went Do you need on. to make it harder for yourself? Like, Apparently, one side is harder. <laughs> Apparently one side is harder. Apparently one side is harder. But yeah. um, her piece of advice for you, which I think suits quite well, uh, is to aim big and aim high. And for you, I think to add on to that, I'll probably say aim fast because that's what you're all about. And to give people an understanding and a bit of context as to what you do now, do you want to go into that? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's obviously been a long journey. It wasn't just something I woke up one day and decided, (laughs) you know what, let's see how fast I can go. Um, I think I've always, I, I, I've always been going 
to go fast. I think I think most skiers and snowboarders kind of understand it, you know, downloading like a little ski tracks app or something like this and seeing how fast you can go with your mates and have a competition. It's kind of all built from that. And then, so I just had decided to set myself a target of trying to go faster than anyone's ever been before on a snowboard. <laughs> we'll definitely get into that because yeah. that's cool. But to begin with, what do you love about being outside and active? I think it's, it's an amazing environment to be in. Like I've, I've been through lots of troubles through this, through school, being dyslexic and things like this. And me being outside and being on my snowboard, I can forget about everything and just enjoy myself. And it's an amazing opportunity to just kind of forget about it, have fun, which is the fundamental thing about everything and just being happy. And I think, especially in skiing and snowboarding, it's, it's not just within that. I mean, any sort of outdoor sports, but skiing and snowboarding is, it's got such a great culture behind it. Everyone's just happy to be outside. And when you surround yourself by people like that, it makes you a better person. And I just love it. I absolutely love it. I'm really interested in people that live in the UK, in England, how they get into skiing and snowboarding, because the country's not synonymous necessarily, I would say, with, with that industry and that lifestyle. How did you get into it? Where did you grow up? Was it always... Uh, snowboarding or did you get involved with other sports and bits and pieces well I was actually quite lucky enough my parents uh, moved over to Switzerland and uh, their teachers they were teachers out there they moved over there so I was actually born and brought up in Switzerland so oh amazing so, so I was a bit a, a bit luckier to have that so I, was, so I actually started skiing when I was about 18 months old uh, about two years old 18 months old around yeah. then uh, so just about as soon as I could walk uh, they put us pair of uh, slippery things on my feet push me down the hill and hopefully I get the hang of it um and so yeah I started skiing from a very young age I was obviously around the snow for a very long age and then started snowboarding around the age of eight and never went back I just absolutely loved everything about it what did you prefer with snowboarding that you didn't give a skiing do you, do you know what it is like I for those who ski or snowboard it's it's a crazy thing because I think you look at a mountain completely differently I, I generally do. So for me, when I was a skier, you'd be like, right, turning around, getting those edges in and carving here. And yeah, I still do that on a snowboard. Mm. But I feel like it's a little bit more fun and playing around, going in switch and doing little jumps off the side. And I know skiers do it, but I think you look at a mountain completely differently. And I feel like it's a more playful way. I just, I just honestly enjoy it a lot more. That's interesting. And when did you start to think that, okay, I could be quite good at this rather than it just being a hobby? I, I generally never took it as a thing that I can be good at. Like it was actually, I was kind of thrown into it. I was doing it for the fun. I was actually not yeah. very competitive at all. I, uh, I was actually quite shy going through school, dyslexic, and I just never thought I was good as anyone else. So I never was that competitive. Um, and then one year my parents just signed me up to a snowboard camp. And I was like, okay, really excited to go. But then they didn't tell me until they were driving me up there that it was actually the tryouts for the British junior snowboard team. Wow. And they knew because if they told me before, I wouldn't have done it. Really? And so they just signed me up. I went along and long story short, I was actually selected for the British junior freestyle team. And how and old were you at that point? I, I was about, must have been about 12, 13, maybe. Um, and yeah, so I started doing freestyle snowboarding. I think it was at that point I was like, well, I must have something there. I've got to keep trying. But uh, funny enough, I actually didn't do well at all in it. So I was like, I got my hopes up. And then yeah. I was like, actually, it's not good. And then I discovered border cross a couple of years later. And I was selected for the British senior border cross team. And that's when things started kicking off. And I started finding what I really enjoyed. And when, what type, when, when year, what year was that? So I must have been around, that was 14, 15 
years old when I started doing more the board across side of things. 16 is when I think you can do more. It was more of like the senior competitions and the bigger competitions. Um, and yeah, again, initially it was a really steep learning curve because I was obviously the younger part of the crowd, mm. younger part of the team. Um, but that actually helped me because you're surrounded by people who are just so much better than you. So you have to perform more. And I think that really gave me a kick to just really push myself. And so I picked it up quite quickly and it was tough. I had some setbacks with crashes and things like this, but I just kept going, kept going, kept going. Do you think that you had always been an adrenaline junkie? Did you always kind of have that no fear? Because you said you were a shy kid, and I know that doesn't necessarily transfer to then, you know, not wanting to go and do fun things and adrenaline seeking. But have you always been like that? Are you still like that? I've always <laughs> been doing silly things all the time. I think my parents would tell you that as well. But I got, I, um, I would always be doing stupid, crazy things. I didn't have any, I wasn't really scared of doing much. Yeah, when I say I was shy, I kind of, I was still had my friends and I would still act out through that. Yeah. Uh, I'm doing some crazy things because it was what I enjoyed doing. I like scaring myself. Um, but I, I definitely was more subdued then when I am now. Okay. So you're snowboarding, you're competing, you're kind of finding your way a little bit. And then 2013 is when basically your journey to where you are now kind of started. I don't know how you view it, but. Uh, yeah, I think that's a much better way of putting it because I think uh, most people might think of it as like, that's that's the end, that was the end of my career, but actually it was the start. Um, so in January 2013, like the, right before, to qualify to the 2014 Olympics, that was my goal. Mm. Um, and so to qualify, you need certain criteria, you need to hit certain points in order to go. It's not just a selection. Yeah. So you have to perform in the year before. And so that was it, 2013, and I came into the first competition of the year, had a big accident and... Sorry, sure, I had completely destroyed a disc in my lower back. And the doctors told me I wouldn't be able to run again, never mind snowboard again. Oh, so in that moment, what are you thinking when you, I mean, it's the first competition of the year and you, you've got this right, Olympics, that's, that's your dream. What actually happened on the slopes? So I, um, it was actually quite a pathetic crash to be perfectly honest I'd love to say it was this massive thing yeah it wasn't it was it's actually really pathetic. but sometimes it's those smallest crashes which actually are the most painful and do the most damage uh, so I was going around a bank corner during course it was only in a training a training run or a qualification run I was going around a bank corner and the high back on my binding snapped and I just made me slide out and I just sat down really hard and I just remember a shock of pain going straight up my back and I knew straight away it was it wasn't going to be good. Really, and but the adrenaline's in there kicking. Yeah, it, it still is. Pain. Yeah, it was still painful, but it was kind of big shock. I was like, okay, let's strap, unstrap. They kept, people ran over to me, took my board off, and I stood up and I just collapsed wow. straight away, and I could hardly walk. I was in that much pain. Um, so they took me away and did all the scans, and yeah, eventually told me I completely destroyed a disc. And in that moment, are you thinking, is it? oh, no, it can't be that bad. Or are you feeling empty, angry, gutted? I think all of the above, but I, I'd had injuries similar to it before. So I'd slipped a disc in my neck. I knocked myself out more times than I can count. I mean, so it's a dangerous sport. It yeah. does. And if, I always say if you're not falling, you're not trying hard enough. And I can definitely say I'm trying pretty hard. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah, you do fall and things happen. So I'd, over, I'd, I'd overcome injuries similar to it before. So I thought that, you know what, I could do the similar sort of rehab, 
get back to it. And I think that's, that was when it really hit home when the doctor was like, yeah, that's not going to happen. You can't get better. It's not going to, we can't fix it a hundred percent. But you're quite stubborn. And <laughs> it was how, how long after January did you then get back onto a board? So it was, yeah, January, 2013 is when I injured myself. Yeah. Um, and I basically could hardly walk for a while. It would be painful to do anything. So I just had to rest up for a few months. How old are you at this point? So this was back in, what, so 2013, so about 2021. 20, wow. Um, and I, yeah, so I basically just had to rest up and it was really quite hard for me. It was a really dark time for me mentally mm. uh, as well as physically. Um, and I found it really tough. And I see all my friends going skiing and snowboarding because it was the start of the season. So everyone's still out going it. They're qualifying for the Olympics. And even though I'm so proud of what all my mates have done, mm. it's still really hard to watch. Yeah. It's really hard for me because I should have been there. Um, and then in April of the same year, I basically had enough. Right at the end of the season, I was like, Look, I want to try to get back to doing what I love. Now, I knew I wouldn't be able to do it in the same way. I knew any impacts. It's a high impact sport. Um, that's what's going to hurt my back the most. Uh, but I wanted to try to find a way of going back to snowboarding, but not just kind of defensively and just kind of going down like I couldn't do it. Um, I wanted to try to find a way to push myself. And the thing that's going to hurt the most are the impacts of like turning and the pressure going through my back. Yeah. So in my head, I thought, well, just don't turn. <laughs> go straight and see how fast I could go. And that's where the whole idea came out. I was just kind of like, well, I could probably put up with the pain for 20, 30 seconds straight lining a speed track and I could still break a record. So I, I wasn't, I was really determined not to let this injury hold me back. Was there pain in general life? Yeah, every day. And yeah. it still is now. Yeah. Um, I mean, even at the snow show here, yeah. we walking around a lot on my feet. It's really quite painful. Uh, but I've kind of, over the years, learned to deal with it. So I'm, mm. I'm better now than I was. I've been able to strengthen up around it. So it is definitely better than it was. And I, I'm sure when you were here last year, you showed a video of one of the first times that you were attempting or one of the times that you were attempting a speed record of you were going down a slope that to someone who is not well-versed in the ski and snowboard industry is vertically straight down and you are just looking down for, I don't know how tall it was, but it just looks scary and you know you're going to be going fast and there's the extra element for you because you know it's going to hurt if you do it well. So what's your feeling when you're at the top of the slope or the start of a runway? or start? I, think, I, I, I would love to say that I'm standing at the top of this thing. It's like, yeah, I love this. I'm not like, I'm not scared at all, but I can tell you, I was so scared. I was generally at this top of this, this mountain, just shaking because I'd been told right before I did my run that two snowboarders had come the weekend before both of them crashed and broke both their legs. I went into a comas. Right. And I was like, Great. Thanks for letting me know that right before my run. So I was genuinely scared and I was like debating whether or not it's worth doing it. And I think it was actually one of the film crew who were around and they radioed up and going, you're going to get on with it already. And I was just like, Oh God, I've got to get down the mountain somehow. Might as well go straight. And I just, I knew I could do it. And I just, just went for it. And 
it was the, one of the best feelings in my life to get down to that line and realise I've not died. Oh. <laughs> That's the first, <laughs> yeah, yeah. first thing number Realise I've not died. But the adrenaline, <laughs> rush, the adrenaline rush you get from it is, yeah. is amazing. And I think that was what kicked off everything, that adrenaline rush you're going through. Like, wow, regardless of the speed, it was just such an amazing feeling. And what I actually found out was because it was so scary, it actually put my mind off my back. So I was so scared. I wasn't thinking about my back injury. I wasn't thinking about the pain I was in. I was just genuinely quite scared. And I thought, well, actually, if I'm scared and I've got adrenaline going, I don't really feel the pain in my back as much. So maybe this is what I need to do. So then you're looking to step it up. What is the goal at that point? Is there a goal? Is there something you just want to go faster, I guess? Yeah, it was was a bit of that. So obviously, I wanted to see how fast I could go and keep pushing myself. But I... I wanted to just kind of constantly prove to myself and to the doctors that this injury wasn't going to hold me back. I wanted to try to keep doing some fun things and enjoy mm. myself. And so I did some more interesting ones. I'd like been pulled by a plane, 1,200 horsepower plane across uh, on a runway. That's a normal weekend. Yeah, normal weekend away. And then done like electric jet engines across a frozen lake, some inventor design. And I just kind of had fun with it. Um, but eventually I kind of always went into this Guinness World Record side of things yeah. because when I was a kid, I would always get a Guinness World Record book. I yeah, think yeah. For Christmas, I'd open it up Obviously. and you had all those silly records in it. And there's some really cool ones in there. I, I generally told my parents, even this was before I even started snowboarding when I was getting these, I said I wanted to try to find a way. No idea what for. I wanted to be in to this get book. In there. I wanted to get a Guinness World Record. And uh, that's when I found out the Guinness World Record for the fastest speed on a snowboard towed by a vehicle. And little did I know that will put me on this other journey, um, which has basically taken over my life for the past few years. <laughs> yeah, so explain a bit about that journey. Yeah, so um, obviously I found the record for this, uh, fastest speed on a snowboard towed by a vehicle. Um, and I thought I could break it, and I did. I broke the record. And normally you'd be quite happy you got Guinness World Record. You're, it's, it's amazing. But I was like, I know I could go fast. That was not fast enough, but we, the car wasn't fast enough. We didn't have the right track. So we came back next year. We had a faster car. I broke it again. But again, I was like, oh, I can go much faster than this. But the track wasn't long enough for the car to accelerate. So we're like, right, let's find a longer track. We eventually found one out in Norway on a frozen lake. Um, and we used a Tesla, so electric car, better consistent acceleration, more eco-friendly. And we went even faster. But again, I was like, nothing went to plan. I like loads of things. I had also one of the, the fastest snowboard crash in history, uh, going 180 kilometers an hour, uh, just flipping through there. I mean, I was actually knocked out. And I was going to say, luckily, I was knocked out. And generally, that was, I'm so glad I wasn't awake for it because it would have been even more traumatizing. So I don't remember much, uh, but it was about 180 kilometers an hour crashing. And that wasn't a good sign, but I got up an hour later and I still was able to break the record, but I was still able to break the record after the crash. An hour after the crash? An hour after the crash, I still got up and broke the record. But because I was quite shaken up, I, again, I didn't go as fast as I wanted. Ultimately, my target was to go faster, than, go over 200 kilometers an hour and go mm. faster than anyone's ever been before on a snowboard. Because they've banned speed snowboarding downhill on the fastest tracks in the world now. So there was no way of me being able to do it downhill. Unless you have a ton of money and you can literally rent that track Mm. for a day for yourself, which is tens of thousands of pounds, which is obviously not going to happen. Um, 
unless you do that, the speed skiing federation don't allow snowboarders on it anymore. Really, I was so, going to say why? Why did you switch from from the downhill slopes to towed by a vehicle? Is that the reason why? So it was the main reason faster? why I went for it because I wanted to carry on doing the downhill one, but it was just so much. Everyone would just not want you to do it. Mm. So I would go when I did do the downhill one. I would go to these speed ski competitions where they rent this. They have these big tracks. They have all the timing gates to make stuff official, but they hate snowboarders. I mean, absolutely hate us. So we go there and I'm sitting on the side of a mountain for four or five hours waiting for a go. The skiers can do one, two, three runs and they don't even let me go for one. Wow. And then eventually right at the end of the day when the track's slower, it's all cut up. They let me go for a run. And it was just kind of all this politics behind it that made it so much harder for me to even be able to, Speed. I'm sure if you have a lot of money, you can rent it, fine, you can go do it. But it was just a lot of politics around it, and it just made it impossible. Um, so that's when I broke the Guinness World Record. Initially, it wasn't my plan to go faster than anyone. I just thought, actually, this is a way to be able to yeah. do that. Um, and so that was ended up being on my journey for the four or five years, <laughs> trying to go faster. So again, you, you mentioned a, a speed there, but just to give some more context... How fast are you going in those, you know, when you, oh, I think I can go faster than that, I think I can go faster than that. And then what is that number also, yeah. that, that you, you hit, that you've, you're on now? The first, the first time I broke it was about 100 kilometers an hour, so just over. Um, I think the second time was 150. Uh, this is nearing 100 miles an hour. Yeah, in so terms back, of, it was like 150. So yeah, 160 kilometers an hour is 100 miles an yeah. hour, so just close to 100 miles an hour. Uh, and then... The third time I did it, I did about 180. Um, and so I was getting very really close and learning and progressing, getting fixing things. And then just earlier this year in February, I was finally able to do it and hit a speed of 211 kilometers an hour, which wow. is 131 miles an hour. Wow. So nearly twice the speed you'd go on the motorway. On the car. Wow. I mean, when you put it like that, it's, yeah. it's ridiculous. And what's towing you there, the, the car? The as car. Well? So we had uh, Audi e-tron GT, electric car, really fast nice. car with studded tires. Yeah. Um, and we actually had a really great professional ex-professional driver come out and, uh, he does a lot of stuff with the grand tour and loads of Hollywood films. So he knows what he's doing. Yeah. Nicky Faulkner. And he just was able to keep that car straight because it might just seem like you're just flooring the car and going for it. But genuinely we did a test run before I went on the back and I was sat in the car and it was even scarier because <laughs> he's there going, we're doing test run at 200 kilometers an hour. It's quite scary on a road, but on ice, he's nearly going like half lock trying to keep this car straight on the ice. And it's just utterly crazy. Wow. Utterly crazy. So that's obviously an important part of it that allows Huge you to part. get to the point that you need to be at. What's going through your head when you're, I guess you can feel when you're getting to the point where it's the, the optimum speed of, of the run. Yeah. What's going through your head at that point? Is it come on a little bit faster, a little bit faster? Or are you thinking just don't hit a crack or fall? Utter fear. Yeah, utter fear it it's the scariest point i've ever been through in my life genuinely scary you're just trying to get to the line so the timing gates are in the middle of this track right that's where you have to get, hit the speed basically um so you're just holding on for dear life to try to get over that so you can start slowing down because i'm on a so the car's in the middle and i'm on the track on the side so i'm constantly fighting the car's wanting to pull me in behind it and oh, i'm fighting it and when you start hitting these speeds of over 160 170 kilometers an hour the wind is so great. Your, your hands are really hard to hold on. You're not allowed to strap yourself onto it. You're not allowed anything. So it's just by grip and the air resistance on you. It's like your hands are like slipping off, slipping off, and just trying to hold on for dear life. 
Um, and I can tell you, it's the scariest moment. And I had no communication over 150, 160 kilometers an hour. I had no communication with the driver because he couldn't hear me. No. So if there's something that goes something wrong, he he will constantly accelerate. Wow. Uh, what's the stopping process? So obviously, so the the track itself was about three kilometers long. Yeah. The timing gates are in the middle, so you got about a kilometer and a half um, to accelerate, but then you also have a kilometer and a half to slow down. Uh, but you have to do it in both directions. So you have to go out once and then you have to do it again coming back. And it's the average speed we record. So we actually, the run back, we actually did much slower. Um, so the first run out, uh, we were the 211 kilometers an hour. But to make the Guinness World Record official, we had to do the return run. But that wasn't my target. Like I had already got the Guinness World Record. I just wanted to go faster than anyone had ever been before. So I just wanted to do it in one run. Yeah, so we went for it, and then the way back was a bit slower. <laughs> you um, think I've done it now? I can. Yeah. Go it was, I mean, it was still like 190 <laughs> odd kilometers oh, an hour, so it was like still fast. It was just kind of like, a, yeah, it was actually more comfortable. We had so many. You do not understand how many things have to fall into place to hit those speeds. I mean, the slightest bit of crosswind at those speeds will put you off, and it will make the difference between it feeling smooth or bumpy and unstable the car hits a tiny little bump because one of the crashes i had again this year i crashed again at 160 kilometers an hour uh, 100 miles an hour and i didn't get knocked out i was awake for the whole thing which was even more traumatizing uh flying through the air at 100 miles an hour hitting the ground was really not fun at all but one of the one of the things that happened there was the car was going along it just hit some snow a little pile of snow on the side and that snow just hit me at 160 kilometers an hour. So imagine throwing a snowball at you at 160 kilometers an hour while you're balancing on an edge, you're going to fall. And that's exactly what happened to me. And I tumbled again. Uh, that was much more traumatic though. Much, much more traumatic. You've mentioned two crashes going at a considerable speed. Uh, one you were knocked out, one you weren't. Yeah. Both probably just a scary boy. Obviously you were living through one, but you've, I don't want to say walked away. You've come away from both in uh, considering your back injury as well, yeah, you've come away from both in fairly good stead. Well, I mean, I was able to walk away from it. I was shaking up, bit of a headache, wow. and feeling really stiff and sore. But I was able, I was able to walk away. I'm very lucky. I don't know how. Uh, when I that second crash, I think why I found it more traumatic was the first crash I had. Even though it was 20 kilometers now faster, no one saw it because we were much earlier down the track. It was a bit of fog, so no one actually saw it, and I was knocked out. So I don't remember. The second one, I crashed right in front of the whole crew in the middle. And what I realized was it was so much more traumatic for the crew. And that's when it kind of hit home for me. I was like, because there was a couple of guys crying, thinking I was dead. I just died in front of them. And that's pretty tough to do. And I think it hit home of, it's not just me, it's affecting it can affect the people around you. So if I was to die there, it would, it would really, tra- it would make really yeah. trauma for a lot of people. So for me, it was um, a kind of, that's what shook me off more because of what it affected everyone else. I take it it takes a big team to put this together as well. It's not just you, it's people around. And that's the whole thing. Most people just think it's a car, attach a rope to the back of it and floor it, but there's so much more behind it. Um, There's obviously the drivers, you've got the timing equipment to make it official, you've got the track, which you need to get it. You need the snowboard. We had to get a snowboard that could deal with the vibrations at these speeds. You need to be training to be able to hold yourself on that edge and being pulled at that speed. You have the whole film crew to be able to document everything. You've got 
the medics in case you crash. You got the policemen there because they have to make it official. You have like so many wow. things that go behind it just to make it official. So it's, it's to break a Guinness World Record. It's really tough. Not even just about the record itself. It's just to make it official. Yeah, the men behind it. I think you've got four of them. Four now, yeah. Four now. What yeah. what are they? So there's this... so, so obviously it's four of the same record we've broken. Four oh, times. okay. But then also through. we've had. I've done some other records as well. So we had a, um, uh, we broke the Guinness World Record for the greatest vertical distance snowboarded in 12 hours. And we just did nonstop up and down a slope for 12 hours. Uh, we ended up doing just over six times the height of Everest um, in 12 hours nonstop. But we sent all the evidence through to Guinness World Records and they didn't believe me because I tripled the record, the previous oh, really? record. I tripled the record. We gave all the evidence they needed with all the timing of top and bottom of every single run, it was like 90-odd runs, time at top of bottom, witness statements, video, photos, a lot, and they didn't believe me because I tripled the record. Uh, So after all that, they didn't actually give me the certificate, even though I'd already broken it. Is that something you'll go for again with a bit more, or is it like... Yeah, I I absolutely will will do again. And I also want to try to go for 24 hours as well. So non-stop for 24 hours. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I've just got to find the right location to do it. Wow. Is that the thrill? Is that what it is for you now going forward of, I mean, will you go for a faster speed? I, I think I'm, I, I'm, that's, I've gone faster than I'm going to go. That's yeah. it. I think that I, cause there's more, it's more behind it. Like I said, I think it's my, my friends, my family, yeah. and they go through a lot of stress to put that. And I don't want to do that to them anymore. I think I've gone and achieved what I wanted to go and achieve. I've pushed myself far beyond my comfort zone and I'm happy with it. So if someone was to come now and break my record, I'd shake the hand and go, well done, because I knew it. I think how much work get, goes into yeah, it. Yeah, but well. I knew how much work goes into it. But also, I know I've pushed myself to my limits. I cannot go any further. I will not be able to go any further than that. That was what I can now. And that's and after those crashes, I think it's not worth risking it now. Um, so now I'm going to do more fun records and endurance and those side of things. To start I mean, it's amazing and inspiring that you go from a point where you told you you won't run again, might not walk again. Definitely the idea of getting a snowboard or going going back on a snowboard for the doctor that would have told you would have been not there. For you to then be able to go and achieve the things that you have and still have something more to do, obviously the speed thing is is a massive chapter, but now it's other challenges and fun things that involve the thing that you love so much, but it's just doing it in your unique way. That must be such a, like a two fingers up to the, to the doctor that told you, but also for you, it feels good. It does. It really does. And I, I think like I was saying right at the start about skiing and snowboarding, why it's such an amazing sport is you have this flexibility to make you be your own creative person. I mean, you look at these things through off piece riders going tops of mountains and being creative. Everyone will take a different line. Everyone will do something different in a different style. And I think that's amazing. So a lot of people might think what I'm doing is really silly and what's the point or anything like this, but it makes me happy. Yeah. And if I can inspire others to like push themselves, maybe not doing the speed stuff, but just go out and enjoy themselves in the sport. And then that's all I want. A super fun thing that you touched on, which I quickly cir- circle back round to, because I think people would have gone, hold on, what? Towed by a plane, snowboarding. Who came up with the idea with that? So, I mean, we, we actually, it was actually a, I think it was like a drunken night in a pub once. Actually, to be That's exactly honest. what I wanted it to be. Exactly <laughs> it like, what I wanted it to be. I, I think it was, we were in this, I think it was after I'd broken the record behind a car. We were trying to think of like some crazier things to do. And it's like, how funny would it be if we could get towed by a plane? And then I started going, 
actually, would that be possible? And I started looking up like the takeoff speeds. And I was like, actually, I think, think we could do this. Uh, unfortunately, it didn't plan out completely what we wanted. We actually wanted the plane to take off and stay low uh, with me still attached. Uh, it was like a small Cessna because that's their takeoff speed. You can go about 100, 120 kilometers an hour. So I was like, I can do those speeds quite comfortably. So we could, we it could be quite fun. But then literally the day before we were meant to be doing it, the Swiss authorities was like, yeah, no. Nah. Even though they had already proved it, apparently some guy came back from holiday and went, what the hell are you doing? No yeah. way are we allowing this. <laughs> so in the end, we actually just got a much bigger plane, much faster plane, and had to have the plane stay on the ground. But it was like on its limits. It was trying to take off at all times. But if the plane took off, he would lose his license. Yeah. So he was like trying to keep it on the <laughs> ground. So he still did like 125 kilometers an hour or something like that. How far behind it are you? Is there anything that you're getting back from the plane? Uh, a little bit, but I was quite far off the side. So oh, we course. had quite a long yeah. road to go off. So the plane was on the runway and I was on the snow on the side. So this up in St. Moritz in Switzerland, they've got that mountain airport. And it was just this crazy pilot that turned up hungover uh, <laughs> in the morning with some sunglasses and aviators on. Absolutely looked horrendous for it. And then he just was like, yeah, should we go and do it then? And I was like, great, all right, let's try it. Oh, it was so a lot cool. of fun. It was a lot of fun. And actually, we wanted to do it again this season in Norway because the people out in Norway are just utterly crazy. They're up for doing anything. Um, <laughs> but in the end, we, we couldn't do it. But I did race a plane. So with the car, I actually raced a plane. We were actually overtaking a plane. I've got a video of, uh, I'll post up about that, of me overtaking a plane on a snowboard, which that's is a, quite fun. That's an amazing flex. Yeah, yeah. Just, yeah just overtaking but a plane you, on a snowboard. I think it, this is what I'm saying. Like Some people think that's so random silly but jenny it's a lot of fun you come up with these crazy ideas and you do it it's a lot of fun definitely um and so why not why not do it so the the snow snowboarding skiing has been a massive part of your life but you, you seem to just love the outdoors in general do you like to go on other different adventures and try different things i mean i've seen that you've done um engineless flying as well yeah so wind, i've been wind. like a lot of gliding and yeah. paragliding and I just love the outdoors. I mean, I was brought up in Swiss and we had all this. It, I, I hate gaming. I hate doing this stuff inside. Like I, I just like to be outside yeah. and doing something. I can't sit still. I always need to go out and do something. And that's what's great about the outdoors is you, there's so much to be able to do. I started to explore a bit more during summer sports and things like this. Not very good at most of them, but I give it a go and have fun. Um, and now I'm doing something with the wave in Bristol. Yeah. Uh, so I start to learn to surf, which I'm really excited about. That's cool. Um, and finally get that under under wraps and hopefully become a surfer now. Will there be a challenge involved with that? Oh, gosh, don't get me started. Inevitably. Let me learn how to surf first <laughs> and then we can get going, yeah. Yeah. What's, what's your favourite thing about going fast? It's a good question. I, I think it's, it's generally the feeling you get from like pushing yourself outside the comfort zone. So it's not just about the speed. I mean, yes, it's an amazing feeling to be going that fast just with on a bit of wood and fiberglass. It's quite, and scaring yourself and pushing yourself outside that comfort zone and then not dying or being able to achieve it. The adrenaline rush you get is something you'll never get anywhere else in life. And I think it's just so exciting that it's addictive. I mean, you can definitely, I'm definitely an adrenaline junkie. We're no, <laughs> I, I'm not shy to say that, but it's, it's an amazing feeling. You can I completely understand why people do all these crazy things. Have you done other crazy things like shark diving or skydiving, bungee? So, I want to do more of that stuff now. Yeah. So we actually had some crazy ideas. So I want to go down the skydiving route, learn all of that. I'd love to do base jumping and stuff. But the, the problem is with my back, 
or a bit concerned that if like if I do it and then the jolt of the parachute is going to really like pull up through my back so, and the landing as well it might not be great can be quite a long um, landing. can be quite high impact so we're going to give it a go but I don't know. but there was even I had once an uh, this inventor in America who contacted me on this absolutely insane idea he'd seen I've been towed behind a plane and he was like hey so I'm designing this crazy um, wing board. Uh, and uh, we need someone to test it out. So basically the idea was basically this snowboard that had wings on, getting towed behind a plane, you'd take off and you would surf through the clouds behind the plane, and then you pull this rope, you detach from it, and skydive down afterwards. And I was like, that sounds awesome. I would <laughs> love to give this a go. But I, did, I haven't been skydiving, so I'm going to try to get my licenses, and hopefully he's still keen to do something eventually. That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, that, that's a whole... That's a different side of things. You're coming yeah, back yeah. again next year, you probably would have yeah, done yeah. that. And, yeah. Yeah. But, and then on the flip side of the, the previous question, what sh- I mean, you probably answered it, but what is the least favourite part about going fast? I mean, it's scary. Yeah. It's scary. I mean, like I said, I'd love to say I'm not scared and I'm confident. Yeah, it's easy. It's, it's not. It's scary. And the, the risks are high. If something goes wrong, you're on that fine line of whether you're going to make it or you're going to possibly die. And it's, it's really, really scary. And I think it's, it, that can be good and bad because if uh, being scared with something is make sure you double check everything, you make sure everything's in place, you can do it. And I feel that actually, that actually gives you a level of safety because you're scared. If you weren't scared, you'd go off and do it regardless and not have, uh, any thinking about anything else. So you look at skydivers and base jumpers. A lot of the time, some of the best base jumpers in the world die. Some of it, some of the reasons are they get too confident with it and they get too easy and they don't do the same checks they need to, uh, or they take further risks that maybe aren't possible because they're so confident. So actually being scared is a good and bad thing to be perfectly honest. Wow. Amazing. And, and how much control do you actually have when you're on there? I mean, you say you're trying to keep grip and you're trying to, you know, fight against the the wind and the natural way the rope's trying to take you. But other than that, you know, if you hit something, you're done. Like you're yeah. on a fine line. So, Jane, the piece on my side, we have uh, this track that goes straight across. I'm on the fine line, just on the edge, um, and I'm I don't know about five centimeters off, sliding off onto the ice and the other way. So I'm really on a fine edge. So one thing goes wrong. I'm off, I'm crashing. So it's, it is tough. You have a little bit of control, but not much at that speed. Amazing. And just before I ask you the last question, you mentioned documentary and I'm sure there's loads of stuff on your social media as well. Where can people go to find out more about what you've done, but also what's to come as well? So yeah, we've got this big documentary. We've been following me through breaking this world record because it's not just about me breaking the record. It's about everything that goes behind how to break a world record and all the whole team behind it. So we filmed a whole documentary with that, which we're in negotiations with various people at the moment for where that goes out. Hopefully next year will come out. Um, and then, I mean, just follow me on Instagram where we go out and do some crazy fun things this season and next season, exploring a bit more touring, splitboarding, things like this. So I'm really excited for what's to come. I mean, that, that I've seen some clips from you trying to go, well, going fast and the falls as well. So if, if that's all involved with it, it's, it's going to be incredible. And seeing all of the behind the scenes stuff that goes into it that you spoke about as well is just as interesting because that's, that's what makes it. It absolutely is. It, it, it's so, people don't think about it. They don't think about the team behind it. 
They just generally think it's holding on to a rope and going fast. There is so much more than that, and that's what we're going to try to show. It's it's generally been inspiring, not only to and, and, and interesting to hear about the fun that you have going fast, but also the reason that took you to the journey that you're on today. Probably not the way that you wanted it to, no, but, but but it's where you are here. So yeah, the, the, the final piece to ask from you is a piece of advice. You've had some advice at the beginning. Now it's time for you to offer a piece of advice. It can be about anything. It can be about something that you're interested in, but it's for someone that will be coming onto the podcast. I, I always like saying this when I, I've gone and worked with children and asking what they want to do in the future and things like this. And I, I would, the one thing I would always say to them is just, Find something you really enjoy doing. Because if you can find something you really enjoy doing, you're going to stick at it. And if you stick at it, you'll eventually become successful at it. And then I think that's a motto, no matter what you do inside or outside of sport. I think that's a fantastic point. Thank you so much. Thank you. Cheers. Well, thank you for listening to this episode of the Outside and Active podcast with the world's fastest ever snowboarder, Jamie Barrett. I mean, it's one thing just going down that steep slope like you spoke about at the beginning, but then to move towards being towed by a car, being towed by a plane, trying to go faster and faster across a frozen ice and risking your life every single time. I mean, an incredible story and incredible guy to talk to as well. And that's the end of the second to last episode in this series. We've got one more with an amazing guest next week. So make sure you're back to check that out. But in the meantime, make sure to leave a review on this podcast. If you're listening on Apple or Spotify, tell a friend or a family member that you think would enjoy this just as much as you. You can share it and let's grow this outside and active community. You can check out more written based content on the Outside and Active website, www.outsideandactive.com. And also a massive shout out to this week's sponsor, eGlove. Don't forget you can get 10% off all of their products, including the new range of running gloves, when you head to their website, www.eglove.co.uk, and enter the code O&A10 at checkout. That's been everything from me, your host, Dom, and we'll be back next week with another episode. And until then, enjoy the outdoors.